Wow, that's powerful. Let's, uh, let's just pray. God, you are awesome. You are powerful. And we exalt you right now to the position you've been in and the position you are in and the position you will be in. God, we trust you and we love you. We praise you that you are exalted over the earth, over our nation, and over our lives. I just pray right now, God, that we would just continue to worship you and exalt you even higher and higher and higher. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again here on our live feed. If you don't mind, would you please uh, uh, fill out a communication card? It's a virtual communication card. You can do that following the link that's in the description of today's gathering, or you can also follow it. Mountain View should be posting that link here in a moment. We'd also just encourage you to continue to give. Wow, Mountain View, you are faithful. Um, as I've talked with other pastors and my friends, uh, some, some churches are struggling. And Mountain View, by and large, you have been faithful, and I just appreciate that so much. So let's continue to give. Let's continue to practice generosity. Let's continue to do that. Uh, you can follow the link, give online. You can send a check in the mail, 1890 Northeast Cleveland Avenue in Gresham, or you can uh, drop it off between 9 and noon, Monday through Thursday. Hey, I'm excited to continue this series that we started called Be Still. And uh, really have a question for you first as we begin. How, how many of you found or returned to your faith in a time of trouble or in a difficult time, in a time of uncertainty? How many of you either found Jesus because things were really going rough in your life and you were seeking him, you're, you're finding something, and, and then you found Jesus? Or how many of you kind of your faith grew or you returned to your faith during a difficult time, during a crisis, during a time that was really challenging and maybe even uncertain. That's really interesting because if we really answer that question, all of a sudden what we'll realize is that we're a lot like the Bible characters. And so let's just dump into a review from last week. Last week we talked about how God does some of his greatest work. God accomplishes some of his greatest accomplishments in times of difficulty, in times of uncertainty, when, when things are not necessarily going the way that we thought they would go. And I, I even challenge you, I said, when we read the Bible and we think about all the different characters that we love or the stories that we love or, or the narratives that we love or, and our go-to characters that we read about or our go-to stories that we read about, likely, likely these were written about these people or about these situations in times of uncertainty, when it was really difficult, when it was really challenging. The Bible really isn't about the rich and the famous. The Bible is about the down and outers, those who really struggle, those who are having difficult times and, and, and were in moments and, and time periods of uncertainty, not knowing what was coming next. And so we just want to acknowledge that God does some of his greatest work when there's uncertainty. He accomplishes some of his greatest accomplishments in times of uncertainty. Our current circumstances may be uncertain, but God is never uncertain. And if you follow the life of these biblical characters, that is something that they will affirm so often and so regularly telling us, listen, I felt like God maybe left me, but sure enough, he was there. Also, we talked last week about how God is still in control. Therefore, we can be still. 
We can be still because God is in control. He's still in the throne room. He's still on the throne. He's still God. I'm not. You're not. He's God. He is in control. Therefore, we can be still. And I love this concept. It comes out of Psalm 46, verse 10. It says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that's what we just sang about. And I love that. But listen, being still doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes being still doesn't make any sense at all. Usually in uncertainty, usually in times of uncertainty, we worry, we panic, we overreact, we become driven by our fear. And usually these times aren't very productive, if we're honest. Well, when we're, when we're capsized, overtaken by worry and, and panic, and we overact and we're driven by fear, we're not usually very productive. And so what should we do instead? If you're not following Jesus, and if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to tell you isn't going to make sense. What, what I'm going to tell you is going to sound unrealistic. It's going to sound unreasonable. It's even maybe going to sound a little crazy to some of us. Today, what I want to do is I want to review a scripture that we've studied before here at Mountain View, and it's also one of those biblical texts that I go to when I'm uncertain, when there are times where I'm not so sure. Too often, worry and panic and fear, they drive us to self-destruction. They destroy our relationships. And what I want you to hear today is there is another option. There is a different option. There is a different way that we can do this. And what I want to do is I want to look at the life of Paul. Paul was an interesting guy because he was called by God to go about and do this great work. And yet life didn't come easy for him. He even writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to these verses. This is what he talks about. What he went through. It says this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger from robbers and danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." I love what Paul does here because Paul says, let me tell you, life wasn't easy for me. I'm following Jesus and I was under attack sometimes. I was running for my life sometimes. I was, I was adrift at sea wondering, God, what are you going to do next? God, am, is this it? Is this over? Or, or do I have life to come? And so Paul uh, wrote this great book called the book of Philippians. And it was really to the people, the Christians, who lived in Philippi. And during, during the, or at which time when he was writing the book of Philippians, Paul was imprisoned. He was in jail. He was locked up 
either in Ephesus or Rome. Uh, commentators will debate that. But while he was in prison, he wrote to the Christians who lived in Philippi. While he's in his chains, locked up in jail, he contemplates the potential of the end of his life's work as he knew it. And he starts to look ahead at what might happen, what might be in the future. And it shows Paul even joyful. It shows Paul that he was able to find peace even amidst the adversity, even amidst the uncertainty and the difficulty and the challenges that he was facing. And so I want to pick up in Philippians chapter 4 today, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's just spent three chapters describing to us, you know, how to live and how to stand firm. And then he goes in chapter four to give us a series of, of exhortations, of commands, of encouragements, of things to do that are practical. Because of all of these things, this is what he says, I want you to stand firm. I want you to stand firm in the Lord. And what I think we're going to look at today, what you'll find is Paul was saying in verse 1, this is one of the ways that we stand firm. And so pick up with me in verse 4. says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now this idea of rejoicing, it means to be in a state of happiness, in a state of well-being, to be glad always, always. And the joy Paul calls for is not happiness. Happiness and joy are two very different things, especially when happiness depends on our circumstances, on our situation, and on our level of certainty that we have. If Paul had written, rejoice always, we could close the book, we could move on, but it's the three words, it's the three words that follow rejoice, it's the three words that make all the difference in the entire world. So look at this again, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Did you catch it? Rejoice where? In the Lord. In the Lord. See, this happiness, this happiness comes and it depends on a deep contentment that is in the Lord. It depends on having a contentment that's, that's driven by, that's, that's founded in, that's rooted in a deep contentment in the Lord. And I love this because it's based on trust. And it's based on trust that's built upon realizing that God is supreme, that he's the one and only true God, that he is the only God who is always available even when it's difficult, even when times aren't going the way I thought they should go, even in the midst of bad circumstances and bad situations and uncertain times. And so Paul says, again, I will say, rejoice. And the best way to understand this is to substitute this idea, this emotion of rejoicing to one of the happiest moments in your life. Maybe it's when you got engaged and she said yes, or, or when you got down on your knee and, and you proposed, or, or when he did that for you. Maybe it was walking down the aisle and saying, I do. Maybe it was you know, graduating high school or graduating college. And you can remember those moments when you were swept over with this incredible joy and you were rejoicing. Maybe it was when your uh, children were born. 
Maybe, maybe it's when you landed that really important job that you always wanted, and then you got the raise for it. And we can think about those temporary moments on earth where we were swept over with joy. And what Paul's saying is, rejoice always. You can always have this. You can always have it. This verse stands in complete contrast to Paul's situation, his circumstances. Where is Paul? He's locked up. He's in jail. He... His circumstances aren't pretty. They're not going the way that he thought they would go. And so I've asked the question, is it possible to reflect on God's goodness? Is it possible to reflect on God's mercy in our lives, maybe until our emotions catch up with us? Is it possible to be still and look around us and to see the way God is still providing, the way God is still working, the way God's grace and mercy and goodness is still there And we can pause long enough, we can be still long enough to let our emotions catch up. Different emotions than what are provoked by our circumstances. But emotions, when we realize that God is still in control, God is still working, God is still doing what God is best at doing. In other words, can we worship Jesus and can we detach our emotions from our surroundings and can we detach our emotions from our circumstances and our situations and can we lean our emotions in the direction of God's mercy in the direction of his goodness and in the direction of his grace in our lives. And then maybe we can become like Paul who says, I rejoice. I rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. And so go on with me. Verse five says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And this word reasonableness can be exchanged for gentleness and kindness or, or being courteous or being forbearing. And so we can change those words a little bit. And what Paul is telling us is is this. Don't let uncertainty take a toll on your character. Don't let bad situations or uncertain times take a toll on your character. This is about the way we treat each other. This is the way we respond to each other in our difficult times. See, reasonableness is crucial for maintaining community. And it is the character that that seeks what is best for everyone, not just myself. How? How is our COVID-19 situation, how has our current uncertain times affected our responses to the people around us? I mean, if I'm honest and I think about that, man, I've done really well in some situations. And I've already, I, I can go back in my mind and think, man, I blew it here. I blew it with my kids there. I blew it with friends here. But the question we have to ask ourselves is how are we responding? And how are the people around us experiencing us? What's really in us? See, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And too often, kindness only becomes an overflow of when life is going the way I want it. You know what? I'm good. Life is good. Things are going the way. I got my job. I got a raise. I got my house. I got, I got everything I could want. And so what we do is, is we are kind to one another because things in my life are going great. And it ends up being an overflow of when things go the way I want them to go. But Paul is telling us that now, right now, it's in uncertain times. It's in times of struggle and times of uncertainty where people begin to see what we're really made of, who we really are. And so verse five, the last part of it says this, the Lord is at hand. 
Lord, so let your reasonable be known, reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. And it's so interesting to me because some people think God is near, but God is not here. I mean, God is close. He's distant close, but he's not necessarily here. And this is what I want to say. Listen, if this, if this life is all about this life, if, if all there is to life is this life, we should panic. But I believe with my whole heart that there is more to this life than just this life. That there is this afterlife. There's this life beyond this life. And it means that God is near and God is with us and God is in us. And so there's no reason to mistreat anyone. And so what Paul's doing is is he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus will return someday. That he will come again and he will judge us and he will hold us responsible for our deeds. And so we should think about that. Verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what I want to do is, there's really three parts to this verse, and I want to look at these three parts. The first part is this. Do not be anxious about anything. And it's almost as if you can hear Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for let tomorrow worry about itself. Paul sounds amazingly familiar like Jesus, that we should not be anxious, that we don't have to be anxious, that as believers, as Jesus followers, as his disciples, we don't have to be anxious, but we entrust our lives, we entrust ourselves into the loving hands of God. And what happens is too often we are troubled or we are distracted by the future and what will happen and our worry increases and we take it out of God's hands and we try to control it ourselves. And so Paul's reminding us, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. The second part that I want to look at is this, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. And so where should we channel all of that energy, all of that thought, all of that time? Well, we should channel all of that in everything, at work, at home, when we drive. I think when Paul says everything, he means all. He means everything. And now the third part of verse 6 says this. Let's read it again from the top. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God these couple of words, prayer and supplication, it's so much bigger than just saying to God, help, or sometimes help. It's so different than that. The word request isn't even strong enough word to really describe what Paul is asking us to do here. And so I want us to slow down a little bit and really wrap our head around what Paul's asking us to do. Paul is asking us to go much deeper, to, to go deep down into our souls and to ask God to reveal. Maybe a better word would be reveal. Maybe a better way to think about it is, is reveal. In other words, we are to reveal our requests to God. So we're to reveal our need, but, but associated re- with revealing means there's a mystery. There's a mystery of sorts, something that hasn't been previously known, that there's something unknown that needs to be revealed or uncovered so that we can give that to God. And so this is huge. This is so big. This isn't about just informing God, saying, hey, God, I need fill in the blank. This is about discovering for ourselves what we really fear, what what our insecurities really are, and what we are really after what we really desire 
And then we take that to God and we reveal that to him because it's been revealed to us. And so uncertainty can surface our deepest insecurities. Uncertainty can reveal our deepest fear. Uncertainty can reveal our hidden values, those things that are really truly what's most important to us. It's only when we move past saying, help, for example, help me with my job or help me keep my job or help me get a job or help us pay our rent or help me pay my bills or help me with my kids as I help them with online school. God, keep my kids safe. Help me find toilet paper. I mean, all of these things that we might say to God in these times of uncertainty, we say, God, help me with, and we describe to him what our need is, but we need to move past just what we say, help me with. We need to dig deep. We need to go deep down into our soul, and we need to ask ourselves, why? Why? What is it behind my need that reveals the fear or the insecurity What is it that is there? What's the legitimate request behind my request? What's behind my request? This is when we have to go deep down into our souls and ask ourselves, what is it that's behind my prayer and my supplication? Is it that I don't feel security? So I say to God, God, help me uh, with my job. Help me keep my job. And I can ask God that, but why is it that I'm asking that? Maybe in my head I really believe deep down that, you know, I'm a man and and I'm supposed to have a job and I'm supposed to provide for my family. And if I don't have a job, then it makes me less of a man. And so what would be the request? The request is, God, help me keep my job because I don't feel complete. I don't feel like I can really be who you made me to be. I might lose my family or I might, you know, be looked down upon by my parents. So what is is the request behind the request? What's the deeper part of the request? If I don't feel security or is it that that I have deep concern for my family or is it that it's it's really important to me how other people view me or is is it that I need to feel important myself and if I don't have these certain things in my life then I won't feel important. Or is it that I don't feel like God cares, or that God loves, or that God even knows? See, uncertainty produces fear. And when we explore our fear, it will begin to reveal our deepest desires, what we really want, what we're really asking for, what's really important to us. And when we are able to discover what is behind our help request, asking God for something, the reveal, and give this to God, something happens. And there's a promise that comes along with this. And so verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, there's three parts to this one verse. Verse 7, the first part, and the peace of God. Now remember, Paul could have argued that he didn't have peace. He's in jail. He's locked up. He's been shipwrecked. He's been running for his life. He's had to hide and and protect himself because people were pursuing him to kill him. Paul could have easily said, you know what? There's no such thing as peace. My life has been crazy. He's in jail wondering, I don't have peace. I want out of here. I want to be released. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't like this. I want to know what the future holds. I want to know where I'm supposed to be going. I want to know what I can do tomorrow. And so Paul could have said, 
anything but the peace of God. He goes on, says this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Here it is. It's the peace that doesn't make any sense. It's the peace that we can't comprehend. It's the peace that we don't understand. It's the peace because of the circumstances, because of the situation, because of the uncertainty, because of the pandemic, because of the economy. Nothing has changed, but I can still find peace. Paul's situation, Paul's circumstances, Paul's environment hadn't changed. He's changed. He's still in chains. That didn't change, but he was still able to find peace. A peace that allowed him to remain peaceful. Verse 7 says this, the last part, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this peace that surpasses all understanding will stand over, will guard our hearts and our minds, keeping the uncertainty from controlling our emotions and our minds. The peace will stand guard. And I love this because maybe Paul thought, you know what, I'm in prison, I've got this guard next to me all the time, and that's sort of what God is going to do. When I don't have peace or, or when my situation isn't peaceful, he will give me peace. Even in the midst of unpeace, he will give me that peace. And then he'll stand guard over my heart. And he'll stand guard over my mind. And he will protect me from those emotions that make me want to go crazy. Those emotions that make me want to blow up. Those emotions that... that depress me, those emotions that irritate me, all of those emotions, he'll stand guard. See, this peace can only come because it's based on the one true supreme, the one and only living God, the one who is always in control, the one who has always been in control, the one that we can trust our difficulties with, the one who rules over all creation, the one who is always wise and always loving in all of his ways. And I think this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, suffering will come. Suffering will come. But through faith, it can be met with joy and peace. Suffering is a guarantee. Suffering is a promise. But it can be met with joy and with peace. Let me ask, have you ever experienced peace before there was peace? I mean, have you ever been in an unpeaceful situation or a hectic time or uncertainty or a circumstance that isn't how you would have described it or prescribed it? Have you ever been in one of those moments where there was so much turmoil around you and yet you had a peace? You had a peace even though there wasn't peace. I can think of moments in my life when that was the case. Most of them have happened since I started following Jesus. I think most recently, I think of our adoption. I think of our infertility process. I think of, I think of even getting married, moving to Oregon. When I moved to Oregon, all of these things, there was turmoil. There was some of this that was going on. And, and suddenly God gave me a peace when really there shouldn't have been peace. Maybe even right now, amidst this COVID-19 situation and the uncertainty that exists, you can find a peace even though it's not very peaceful right now. You can find a peace. Have you ever had peace before there was peace? 
See, in verse 1, Paul reminded the readers that, listen, we stand firm. And so stand firm. And I, and I like this section so much because what he's telling us to do is this. Here it is. Pray until we have peace. Pray until we have peace. Keep praying. Pray again over and over. Keep praying. Pray, 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 pray until we find peace. And sometimes, this is what I know, sometimes God intervenes in our circumstances. Sometimes God intervenes in our situations. And sometimes God intervenes in our uncertainty. And we are able to keep our jobs and we're able to get healthy and well again. And we can be accepted and we can pay our bills and no matter what, I want us to understand there is an offer for peace when we approach God with our open hands and we make the secrets of our hearts and the secret of our desires known to ourselves and known to God. And we can pray and keep praying and pray again and pray, pray, pray. Never cease praying until we find peace. We pray until we have peace. And we keep praying. And in the meantime, while we're praying, we keep working and we keep doing our part. We keep doing everything that we can do. And we pray until we have peace because it's better than letting our anxiety and letting our stress and letting our fear get the very best of us. Now, let me say that again. Instead of letting fear and anxiety get the best of us, what if we decided to pray and keep praying until we found the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace of all peace. See, prayer leads us to a place where we take what only God can do in our lives and we place it in his hands. That's what prayer does. See, God knew this. That's why he asked us to pray. Because the more we pray, the more willing we might be to take what only God is capable of doing and putting it into his hands, letting him handle it, which will lead us to a peace that surpasses our own understanding. And so right now, no matter where you're at, you can pray this prayer. Here it is. God, I need. What is it you need? Or God, I want. What is it that you want? Fill in that blank. But then let's do the revealing part. Let's go deep down into our souls and let's really see what's behind the request. And so the second part of that prayer is, and I'm afraid that if I don't, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What's, what's your insecurity? What's the anxiety that exists? Because that's what we need to tell God about. All joking aside, we laugh about toilet paper. Fascinating, fascinating that somewhere in history books, 20 and 30 years from now, they'll look back at 2020, the big toilet paper shortage crisis. So I pray to God, I say to God, God, I need toilet paper. Now, all joking aside, what does it reveal? reveals something deep inside of me that I don't want to go without or that, that I, I like my own comforts or that, that this is crazy and what if what, today it's toilet paper, tomorrow it might be whatever. And so we get to go to God, we get to pray, we get to say to him, God, I need whatever it is. I need a job. 
because I'm afraid that if I don't have a job, my family will look down on me. Or I won't feel like a man. Or God, I need help. I need help teaching my kids with online school. Because I'm afraid that if you don't help me, they're going to fail and they're going to be behind next year. You see what happens when we begin to pray this way? It reveals deep down the biggest need and we can give that to God. We can turn it over to him and we can let him have it. It is in the fear, it is in the insecurity that we actually find our request, not just the need. And it's made known to ourselves and it's made known to God and so then we get to pass it on to God, give it to him who is still on the throne He's still up there in control of the universe. He has the universe in his hands. And so what have we learned? This is what we've learned. That God does some of his greatest work. He accomplishes some of his greatest accomplishments in times of uncertainty. What have we learned? That our current circumstances may be uncertain, but God is not. And what have we learned? That God is still in control. Therefore, I can be still. I can be still. What do we learn? That we can pray. We keep praying. We pray and we pray and we pray until we find peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to invite you right now to sing along with us as our worship team sings this song called Waymaker. And I love it. When there's no peace... God can make a way for us to have peace. I love this idea. In the midst of uncertainty, God is making things happen. Lives are still being changed. The church is still the church. In the midst of uncertainty, when I slow down long enough and I thank God and I look for his goodness and I look for his mercy and his grace, I can see God at work. I can see God making a way. So join us as we sing this song.